and I'm delighted to be joined on the line now by former, it's hard to say, former Carlo defender Shane Redmond and current Tin Ryland player as he announced his retirement from inter-county football this week alongside his club mate Paul Broderick. First of all, Shane, thanks very much for taking the time. Thanks very much, Shane. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it must have been incredibly a difficult uh, decision to come to, first of all. Yeah, it really was. I mean, uh, I suppose I was... Um I thought it was only really this year. It never really crossed my mind before. It was always something that I really wanted to do, and it was always something that I was really enthusiastic about. And I have no problem getting back training in you know at this time of the year um, and getting back into the setup and building towards you know pre-season competition in, in January. So this year, for the first time, I, I suppose I started to ask myself the question. You know, and and sort of just think about it a bit more, and that was probably the first sign, I suppose, that um, you know I, I was always the type of person that I'd, I'd want to give something a hundred percent if I was going to commit to it, um, and even the fact that I was asking myself those questions this year was probably a sign in itself, um, and I suppose it just just um, I thought about it a lot and and had you know good conversations with with family and friends um, and so I just, just thought that, that now was the right time to, to, to leave it To represent your county is a, is a huge achievement so to to have that feeling that you're not particularly excited to, to go back and be able to put on that Carlo jersey or having those doubts not even a, a, a whole feeling that you were able to um, think about just having a, an inkling of doubt must have been incredibly um, kind of shocking to the system for yourself for a man who so proudly represented the county for 14 seasons yeah, it really was. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's, uh, in terms of the, the pride that I've always felt putting on the jersey, um, you know, and and in the last couple of years, the great days that we have, you know, there's, there's, um, there's, there's little that that will beat that. I suppose, you know, they were absolutely fantastic experiences. Um, but yeah, as I said, I just, I suppose, I just felt that that now is the the right time. Um, that the hunger just wasn't there, and and just was just just wanted to get back and and um, you know give my all for this for the club for the next next couple of years while I'm while I'm still out. I suppose. And you mentioned kind of looking back on the memories. I suppose two standout memories, and I don't know if you'll be able to say one is better than the other. But would it be the promotion to Division Three in 2018, or would it be beating Kildare for the first time in 65 years in that year's championship? Is there one that stands above it all, or does the championship as a whole that run just kind of spring to mind? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, from the very moment that I set foot in a in a Carlo dressing room. The goal at the start of every single year was to get out of Division Four. Um, you know, the goals for the championship were always a little bit. It was, it was they were harder to, to define, I suppose, because you didn't know who you were going to be playing, you didn't know what kind of draw you'd be getting, um, and you know, one match and you're out of Leinster, and the next match and you're out of the, the thing altogether. So in, in the qualifiers, so um, I suppose really it was the day up in in Belfast getting promoted, just that. After all those years and years and years of trying, that eventually we got over that, and it was um, it was something concrete, I suppose, at that stage to say, yeah, we did that. You know, we 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 got we 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 played all those matches in Division Four, and we we won them, and we got out of it. And you know, to to, to be able to have that that a concrete um, result at the end of that was was brilliant. 
And when you look back on that time as well, because Carlo kind of got a bit of criticism for the style of play for that mm. panel. Was that frustrating to see your success being somewhat spoiled or did you use it as a bit of a motivational factor? Yeah, I suppose, yeah, at the time, I always found it a bit strange. I mean, I mean, from outside, you know, from, from, from outside the county, there was a bit, a, a bit of, um, you know, people, certain people kind of getting on and about the side of play. And there were platoon which passed on, on people from outside the county. Then. And in general, I mean, the people within the county were, were very supportive. Um, I mean, I mean, they were, they were the best days that, that I've ever had. I think they were the best days that supporters ever had, you know, in, in recent memory supporting the team so um yeah I, I could never understand people from within the county and i was i, I must say it was, it was a very small minority um who were questioning the style of play but um you know when you look when you look at the, the, the match you just mentioned there against kildare i think it was a 217 we scored that day so i mean you couldn't be you, you had to make an argument that we were we were that defensive i mean we were we were set up you know, we had a good structure. We had we 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 um we we had our our game plan in place. Um, but uh, but you know, we were still putting out big scores. We were still winning. You know, and it it never spoiled anything for me to be honest. Um, there was enough enough good people around us to uh, to enjoy those days for what they were. And you're mentioning those as some of the the best days. You know, you you debuted it back in 2008, which is just incredible for 14 seasons. And you're mentioning those those times as some of the best days in a Carlow jersey. Obviously, under the tutelage of Turlow O'Brien. And what was it about Turlow that he was able to get that from the Carlow side? Was it the panel that he was able to choose from? Was it a, a lot more kind of expansive, or was it the, a level of professionalism that he's bringing to the camp? What did Turlow bring when he first got involved in the Carlow setup? I, I, I think that Turlow, you know, in fairness to him, every single decision that he made for those couple of years was always for the betterment of Carlow football, um, and it was just you know. He, we ne- we never doubted that you know every decision every small decision every big decision he had Carlo football at the heart of us um, and I-, I think that coupled with the fact that his knowledge of of players around the county his his connections around the county and how he was just able to galvanise that team and bring that team spirit into us bring Stephen Coacher into the the coaching setup and. Um, you know, I suppose, you know, after the first, after the first year, identifying that we needed something, got on to Steve and brought him in. You know, as I said, every decision was just was just all for the good of Carla football, and I think that just just rubbed off on us. Um, and and you know, the, the team spirit and the setup and and everything was was second to none. And obviously now in recent years, Niall Carew is trying to probably bring a bit more of an expansive style of play to Carlo. I harken back to maybe his first interview after the very first game that he was in charge, talking about just trying to bring a bit more of a, an attack and impetus to the game. So far, hasn't been hugely successful, but do you feel that the team is on the right track from someone that was in the camp, maybe can reach past heights by uh, playing a bit more of a, an attacking brand of football? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, I, I suppose it's a, it's a difficult balance to, to get and maybe you know the, the balance had shifted too far away from from what we had under under Turlow. I think you know I think with with the right with a little bit of finesse on us I think they are on the right track like I will say that the, the team in general I suppose has changed quite a bit as well you know you have a lot of you know young fast skillful players coming up as well 
which probably lend themselves uh, to a more expansive style of football. You know, the likes of, of, of Jordan Morrissey and uh, Connor Crowley and Ross Dunphy and these fellas. Um, it were, you know, just, just really, you know, they're, they're quick, they're fast, they're strong, they're skillful. So, you know, I think I think that definitely will lead itself and, and hopefully in the next couple of years we'll kind of see those lads continuing to progress and, and, and driving the thing on and, and getting back to the success that we had in those years. And we were talking to Joey Holden last week who... Um recently announced his retirement and we've talked to many Kilkenny hurlers who have announced their retirement they all talk about the discussion that they have with Brian Cody being quite brief um, being quite short just to thank you for your service and that's pretty much it that's your inter-county career done what's the conversation like with Niall Carew um, then when you're telling them and informing them of the decision yeah similar similar experience I suppose I had a call with uh, with Niall a couple of weeks ago and you know I suppose once I once I told them my decision, you know, it, it was a brief conversation. The uh, and from his point of view, you know, I understand that because if he has to try and 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 drag lads and pull lads along, that's not the way to run something. You know, that's not the way to 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 go forward with the county. If if, if lads have to be begged to play, um, you, you're not in a very good scenario. Um, so yeah, it, it was a brief brief enough. Uh, conversation with with, with Niall and listen, he was he was very grateful um, as as I was with him and um, yeah, all all on good terms, but but a brief enough conversation. Um, considering the the term, times that you had with Turlo, would it be a different conversation if Turlo was in charge? If you reti- tried to re- maybe retire two years ago yourself, or uh, potentially, yeah, hard to know. Like I mean, I've got a um, lovely uh, text message off Turlo, and just as suppose when, when I broke there, and I was. Uh, we were texting for a little while afterwards, um, just about some of the memories and and so on. Um, so 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 maybe it might have been, yeah. Uh, I thought this is similarly when 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 Tarlo sat down. Um, similarly, we had a you know we were texting each other for a while. Just um, yeah, I thought I was, I was thanking him at that stage. Um, but yeah, hard to know. Hard to know what the um, what the tone of the conversation would have been um, at that at that stage. I mean, two very different personalities, Turlo and uh, Niall. So um, probably probably would have been a longer conversation, I'm sure. And would you have had a conversation with Paul Broderick? Obviously, your county and club mate who also announced his uh, retirement from the game. Was that something that you did in conjunction with each other or separate? No, not really. Um, I mean, I suppose I would have had an inkling of it. I mean, it's not something that you you generally ask somebody you're going to retire this year or anything. But, it, but we did. We had a quick conversation before training one evening, which was two of us in the dressing room, and and I kind of it just came up, I suppose. And uh, he said, "What do you think?" And I think I'm, I said, I'm, "I was pretty sure that stage I was going to leave it." And he said the same. But, but that was it. Um, there was no no great plan to do it at the same time or anything like that. It just 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 happened that way. No one's stealing anybody's thunder anyway. Um, <laughs> in terms of the 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 club game, we'll let you go. You've been very generous with your time. I know you're keen to get back. You're a Monday to Friday guy, and your weekend is your weekend. <laughs> and I can understand and appreciate that. Monday and Tuesday is my weekend. But uh, in terms of Tin Ryland, going out of the senior championship at the quarter final stage, how can you progress now with yourself and Paul taking a step back from from county? Is that done with trying to Continue to uh, get Tin Ryland up to the levels of an Airog or a Rathilly? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're the, the benchmarks at the moment. So, uh, I mean, this year was very disappointing in that we didn't uh, we didn't get over the quarterfinal again. 
you know, we haven't got over over a quarter final in a long time. We haven't been in a county final in in, in ten years at this stage. So, um, I, I mean, having said that, I think you know we've steadied the ship a little bit there this year. Stephen O'Mara, the the former uh, coach with Carlo, is is the manager, and 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 he's in place for next year again. So we're we're, we're trying to build on that, and we're trying to. To, to get something in place, I suppose hopefully with the likes of, of myself and, and Paul and obviously you know Dermot and, and Danny and, and Keen all are you know who have all um, have been in with the county in the last couple of years as well. Um, you know with all of us back there now, hopefully we can we can drive it on from, from the world go next year and 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 just start to start to build and start as well getting into semi finals regularly and getting into getting into a couple of finals and, and hopefully hopefully take one along the way. Well, we just got a text message in there, uh, Shane, just simply saying thank him for his time in a Carlo jersey. Some great memories. Um, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. No doubt people are reliving some of those memories in the back of their minds as uh, we're, we're talking about it. I might have a few clips to be able to play as we say our goodbye. But thanks very much, Shane, for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks. So I'm here with Star celebrating the 25th birthday of Realty Clinic, having worked with some of the best local, national, international athletes like Usain Bolt and Elena Thompson here. Um, Star, how special is it to be here celebrating your 25th birthday? Makes me feel old, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, as I said to you, I'm nearly 60 years of age. I started out 28 years ago. I was 25 years the clinic is running. Um, it's been a long journey, a very privileged journey, and I would like to thank my family who put up with a lot with me, and I'd like to thank the customers who's come for so many years and keep coming back, and they've sent their families and they've sent their friends, and that's what's made the, the clinic very successful. It's a self-independent clinic now. I'm just the person out here and away from it. There's seven physiotherapists and exercise physiologists and nutritionists to work here, and they're, they're um, they're a great team and that's what it's all about, it's a team, there's no I in team and that's what makes this clinic very successful. Me, I went away from physio work probably seven or eight years ago and I'm now called the human mechanic, the body mechanic and that's what I like to be going by because being a body mechanic is everyone has a car that to get it serviced and sports people use their body just as much as a car has been used and nobody looks after it so I try to set up programs that will make it very cost efficient for them and make them enjoy what they're doing and also keep them injury free so they'll be able to go to the next level. Uh, one thing you touched upon there is the, and one thing that struck me when I came in was the scope and the, the size of the place. You mentioned having seven staff. When you started 25 years ago, did you visualize that? Did you envision that you'd have this success that you've had uh, come your 25th anniversary? Absolutely, because what people look down on me is I'm a servant of God and I'm a very Christian oriented person and I work for God and he sent me to do my work and help people to become great people and help people and any person that comes to the clinic that can be 9 or 90 in their own world they're an Olympian and they have this ideology they want to be healthy so I treat everybody the same and they treat the body is the same and everybody has a goal and that's to feel good and that's my job so I'm just a servant and that's all I am. You mentioned the people that you're working with, um, Usain Bolt, Glenn Thompson, uh, US uh, golfer Patrick Cantley. These are some massive names. TJ Reid from a Kilkenny perspective, some huge names. Do you, do you get a sense of pride when you see them achieve and what they've gone on to achieve, knowing that you've been able to help them uh, get to that level? Well, as I said, yeah, I think what help I need to do a small bit. What I feel is that 
all these people have their own gifts and I just help them achieve it, that's all I can do. Um, I don't contribute to um, make them superstars. They are superstars. Everybody's a superstar from a chap that wins a county championship in Carlo to a person that wins an Olympic medal. Um, they all have their own gift, but everybody wants to bring that gift to the next level and that's what I try to help them with because I'm just a tool in toolbox and a toolbox helps or a, a little kink in a chain. That's the way it is. From a business perspective, like dealing with these huge high profile athletes is a, a huge kind of uh, notch. But in terms of kind of regular people that like going out running that train at uh, maybe a junior B team, is the clinic still accessible to people like those? Absolutely. They're the people that keep the clinic going and they're the people who we, we have the most is because everybody has a goal, especially when they take up running. Running never gets easy. It gets harder because you want to get quicker and you want to get better. And that's where the problem is. And we're here, we, we just don't do treatment, we do prevention and we help people that they don't get injured and we give them, we have a physiologist here who does a lot of work in relation to um, body mechanics and human movement and a lot of people, there's no perfect movement in this world. People try to change the person to make them better athletes but if you can work with what they have and make that more efficient, the performance gets better. Um, what a lot of people know from your clinic is the creation of the speed board. Could you explain to our listeners what that is, how it can be beneficial to them? Yeah, well, the speedboard is an amazing product. I, I believe, not because I want to sell them, that every house in, that in Ireland should have one. A lot of all the top athletes in the world use it. Um, and then it's very hard to get people to adapt to something change. But a speedboard is amazing for the things we do in human movement. Plantar flexion, dorsiflexion, inversion, eversion. They're the natural mechanics of landing when you run. And if you can do that more efficient, your body becomes more efficient. Now, back to the same thing again, it's not the answer for everything, but it's a tool in the toolbox to make the athlete more efficient. And uh, finally, 25 years now in business, the next 25 years, uh, what do you hope to achieve going forward with the clinic? <laughs> you answer that for me, Elaine. <laughs> <laughs> Elaine told me to get a walking stick, <laughs> start writing books and retire. That's what she said to me a few minutes ago. <laughs> Um, basically, there's young people here doing it. My, uh, my daughter runs the business, you know, I have great family, I have great support from them and um, she's bringing it to another level. But the goal is to keep up with science and science that is quantitative research in relation to what's good. There's a lot of research out there that's not good, but what works is good. And Einstein says if you keep doing something and it doesn't work, you've got to ask yourself why. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to just try keep the staff going and we do a lot of stuff here there's a lot of um, international staff here there's a person from Canada there's a person from Belgium there's a person from um, Portugal and they all do their final year here and then they're able to take it to their next level we have some therapists who are now working with AC Milan soccer team we have guys working with basketball players in America so they've all done their journey and that's what it's all about and if we can help and bring people to a better level I'm very happy well, congratulations on the tremendous success anyway for the past 25 years. We wish you nothing but the best here at KCLR and all the people that you work with as well. Star, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. celebrations for Stephen Quinn and the Wexford youths team who had an amazing weekend last weekend the FAI's Women's Cup following a 3-1 victory against league champion Shelburne at Talla Stadium it was just a sight to behold it was a Kilkenny and Carlo contingent involved joining me now on the line as we stated yesterday is Stephen Quinn Stephen thanks very much for taking the time sir oh, brilliant. Thanks, for the, thanks for the invite and brilliant to have like you said a contingent of, of Carlo and Kilkenny in, in, in around the club and 
showing what an asset they've been to the club so far this season. Uh, my sisters ended up playing with Wexford Youths a few seasons ago, so it was always a, a place that's very close to, to my heart in, in following both the men's and the women's team. But for someone that's so ingrained in the club, how special was it to lift the FAI, FAI Cup last Saturday? Oh, it was brilliant. It's, it's, I suppose when you, it was a bit of time to reflect on it now from a week on now from when you think about leaving Tala this time last week. Like, so you think back and the amount of work the girls put in all the season and the ups and downs and so it was, it was just brilliant for them for the sheer effort they put in, the commitment that it takes to play at this level to go up and, and win, but also go up the steps and, and get handed the trophy. And no better than Kylie Murphy to step up and take the trophy in our 4-1. It was just a, a brilliant occasion for everyone in the club, committee, players, staff, everyone. And was it somewhat extra special now, considering you defeated the league champions, who defeated G on the last day of the season to, to jump above you? Like, they were... Possibly favourites amongst a few to go and do the double. Yeah, it was. I suppose it was the way it felt. It was a bit of a strange one because it was like a dress rehearsal we played in the week before we played the cup final. And look, it probably has happened over the years, but uh, the way the league was won as well, and it was kind of Shelburne had to beat us on the day, and we didn't have to go out and get a result. And whatever happened over in in Piedmont and they lost, and Shelburne ended up beating us three two, and we're crown champions. And we're kind of on the pitch, and, and the celebrations are wild. Yeah. And, Look, we stayed on the pitch and we and we congratulated them and we stayed there for a trophy and we just kind of knew in our, in ourselves that look, they're they're beatable and we knew what we need to do because we went there and we weren't at at a hundred percent. So the few little tweaks we done during the week, we trained hard and we knew if we performed on on that Sunday, we, we had a great chance of going and beating them. And we like underdog is probably a label that's given to us all the time, and you can ask the girls that and even though what they've won, so that doesn't that doesn't um, affect us at all. That really spurs on and even gives a bit more motivation and and why do you think that you have that underdog kind of um, you know name attached to you because you know you, you did end up coming third it was six points behind Shelburne um, but it was a very good season as a whole when you consider winning that cup um, but P-Mount have been the champion they were going for three in a row as well so like why do you think that you have that attached to attached to the club I think uh, sometimes if anyone outside Dublin really I suppose they look at the the club maybe for to be hard work and dogged and everything, but just like especially in the last two seasons and and effort Tom has put in as well and the work that we've done this season, it's you know, it, there's a lot more to to extra juice and I don't think the overly rate is too highly, but anyone that plays us, anyone that's talked to us through the season, you know, we're nearly willing us to go and win the cup, and in the background they probably thought we we were better than Shelburne, and you can say Shelburne, or we'll just confess Shelburne are really good football inside, but. I feel they're on our day like we're as good as, as any team in, in this league in a football wise. We've always had hard work, we've always had that desire and the effort, but I I honestly think that this Wexford juice are only going to get better and better. And that's the kind of stamp that we want to go forward with. And with that in mind, then getting better and better, we know P Mount were going for three in a row and then they were usurped by Shelburne. When you're talking about the natural progression of the team and you're looking at the winners of the, the league this year that he ended up defeating in the cup. Does it give you kind of heart that P-Mount haven't kind of made a sustained dominance or is there something in your back of your mind that are going P-Mount are going to be hungry now coming into this or is it just clearly focusing on, on yourselves? Yeah, it's, it's a season of small margins when you reflect back on it and we played P-Mount at home the first game of the season and we were unfortunate to miss a penalty in the 84th minute and we can, and we can see the goal in the 87th minute and we went up to, to P-Mount twice and um, we uh, we. 2-0 down at half-time, came back to 2-0, probably could have won the game 3-2, 
and they came down and was in it was a one all draw down below in, in Ferry Paradise. So there was never anything in that against with us and P Mount and Shells was the same. Was never anything in it, but it's just that little bit of luck at times as well. But this season, I think we really kind of turned the corner and and we just know that okay, especially talking to a few girls and going into next season and there's really that hunger there to to know that like P Mount have been dominant. Shells are a really good side. Like, but I think it's it's if we put a little bit more work into it, a little bit more tweaks and changes there definitely is a, is a plan is to go in and really push pressure on these and we want to be on top and we want Wexford back in dominance because it's been a while since since you can say that and we mentioned the kind of local interest here from a Kilkenny and Carlo perspective two standout players uh, amongst the, a litany of players would be uh, Kylie Murphy who's been nominated for player of the year Ella Malloy who's been nominated for young player of the year firstly talking about Kylie how important is her experience and leadership in helping that team oh it's, it's massive and it's probably like Kylie Murphy's with a household name now from locally but anyone that's involved in the Women's National League or anyone that's played against her like, but the work that she does off the pitch be it um, just helping out the younger girls when they come in to the new club. Like even this year herself, she a lot of interviews with these. She's been a midfielder turned into a, a striker, and she's only one off the golden boot this year. And up up before training, forty five minutes up before training, doing finishing, doing all that extra work that she needs. And 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 look, she's she's been around a long time. She's won a lot, like but the hunger is still there. Like and it's it's it, it absolutely gives me that motivation, even as a, as a manager and coach, to put more into it. So I think everyone sees that, and she's the epitome of Wexford Jutes. The effort, both on and off the pitch, is just top class. And I, I suppose everyone can say they have they have the best captain in the league. Like, but like I wouldn't I wouldn't trade Kylie for for any player in this league. And in, in regards to Kylie, then you know she's been there since the foundation of the league in two thousand and eleven. She's been I I think four league titles, I think four FAI cups. And hasn't made an appearance in the Republic of Ireland, or hasn't been called up by Vera Power or anything like that. Is is that something that would annoy yourself, or like does she deserve it, or because maybe her age, she's not being considered? No, definitely, it's it's, it's deserved. Even home based training and and that like not really getting that recognition because for me, she's been the best player of the season. Like, and if you think about the best player in the season, regardless of age, is no, oh, it's it's just it's it's baffling sometimes, but. Look, these things happen as well, and I suppose she's had a long career now before this season and even last season, so you know, maybe different things didn't work out, but definitely is one that you look back at and say, how does she not represent her country? Because what a player she is, and she's the most technical player I've seen in this league, and be it both sides of the ball, defence and attack, and and I'm only kind of coming to the club now, I've only got no Kylie over the last two years, and we've seen a bit of her you know, before I got involved, like, but what a player she is, and it's probably... When you look back at it, when, it, when she retires in maybe four or five years' time, that uh, she look back and, and people will say, well, probably the best player that never got capped for Ireland. Look, things might change between now and then, I don't know, but it, it's, it's something that definitely people are really discussing. Yeah, it's kind of like a Steve Bruce situation when he never got capped for England. You were kind of left there scratching when he's lifting the, the double for, for Manchester United. Um, in terms of someone who has been capped and then went to the underage setup and then was scheduled to get got, get called up again before injury, Ellen Malloy, uh, in that match in particular, one player of the match, an outstanding performance before going off with that hamstring injury. At such a young age, and someone that's kind of helping uh, Ellen flourish. Like, wh- what is it about her that makes her stand out? She seems to stand out in all the big games. Yeah, it's a, Ellen is one of these players. It's just she can make anything happen. 
and it's it's something that's rare at times in players. Sometimes you're very you're really coach out at where you're kind of more rigid and told what to do and stuff. But Ellen Ellen can get a football and just do anything she wants with it. So refine her game a little bit over and having discussions where no one went to, to dribble and when not to dribble, no one went to space when there's not space and just making them better decisions. But you can see this season she's absolutely been brilliant. The goal she scored but and she feels like she has to have a good game just by scoring a goal like but things that people don't see is the absolute effort off the ball. Getting back, getting up the pitch is just immense for a player that that young and that's the stuff and if you just see the connection between her and Kylie this season and I was looking back on goals for the season and the amount of times she's given Kylie an assist or, or vice versa, Kylie's given Ellen an assist. It's, it's, and that's no, that doesn't down for just sheer luck. Like Ellen's up as well before training early and um, working hard, taking shots on goals. Same with Rossi, um, Avian Clancy and a couple more that come up a little bit earlier. Like So Ellen is a young player but what, just a really good head on her shoulders and experience over her time and she's only going to get better and better. And it's just about Setting, setting up the right structures around her and, and look she has no better person than Kylie and, and, and Lauren and Nick and Adele all these senior players that really took her under her wing when she came in at a really young age and she's just flourishing with the club and it's just brilliant to see and is there like there's I suppose the ceiling's really the limit then is there any heights that you think she can hit considering she's already an Irish international at the age of 17 yeah look it's, it's, it's consistency now at this, at this age and so she has a little bit of an injury now from the last game, so it's about getting that right now coming into the new season. And, and look, when you're an international football, there's always going to be people talking about you and stuff. And she's very level-headed, down to earth girl. Um, education is important as well, so she's in her leaving cert, so it's, it's a big year for her as well. And she's a lot of commitment gone in. So look, it's all about her. And there's a couple more in the club you know, at her age as well, like the Avian and Bella and Teague, and all similar age because playing international football, being in the 19s or seniors, like. They're only going to get better and better, and they're the, that age group is really the future of, of the women's national league. Be it if they stay in the women's national league, or maybe go further down across the way, maybe. But um, it's about our, our job now, in, in, as a league and, and as a club, to um, to nurture these young players and making sure that they're having the right structures. And, and the women's game itself is just going to grow and grow. Even for me, coming in for the last two years to where it is now, like there's a massive improvement. And some of these girls are playing ten years, and and they're only it's only kind of happening now. So where is the game going to be in another five, six years for these younger players? It's just it's it's so exciting. Yeah, I was just I was just about to ask you, considering the the spectacle that was the final, considering the how tense it was coming up to the last day of the season, and just the coverage that has been put towards the women's national league. We know some great kind of Twitter accounts are always uh, championing the the sport and championing that particular league and I was going to ask you where do you see it going in, in the next few years do you see it kind of maybe even usurping the, the Airtricity League yeah it's something that's um, a lot of work on in, especially this year that you're bringing in more commercial and more sponsors are coming in and Evoke have been absolutely excellent with the with the cup and Airtricity coming in with the women's league and it just it raised the profile more of the players you see more of clubs even their own social media like our social media um, Ronan and Anthony have been, have been top class this year. You see the amount of stuff that goes up on our on our Facebook and our Twitter and our Instagram. It's it's just top class. Like, and there's a couple of clubs like that, and it's just raising the profile and it's making more commercial. And look, we get in more title sponsors. And um, you see the women's national league now equal pay. They've Cadbury and a title sponsor Sky. So this hopefully will all start filtering down. And look, you'd hope you'd like to see the league maybe in a year or two 
that are maybe semi-professional and players are getting something for amount of effort they're putting in and don't over overly trying to keep because your top players will will be kind of the overnamer will come across and and say look we can offer this and offer that like but there's a lot of players gone over even this season so it'd be nice to see if them players were able to stay in Ireland get an education and play football I think that's going to be very important going forward like keeping these good players in the league and really strengthening the league instead of just giving the best players going across to England and strengthening the England league or vice versa so it's um that's going to be important. I think the FIA put a lot of work into it and the club itself put so much work into it. So I think if everyone is pulling the right direction and they have just the focus of growing the league, I think it can be in the next two or three years we might have this conversation again and we're asking what's next. So and that's what we want to do. We're not going to hopefully do all good this season and then we're taking steps backwards. So it's just all going forward now and whatever we can do and any any media outlets or anything that can help so even better because even the, the sport you, you do and highlight it and even this interview today, like it's just, it's, you never know who's listening or who sees something and it might be the next person that comes in and say, look, I'd like to be involved in that. So it's going to be very important. It certainly is. And even just looking at the table, you know, the, the, the teams that are in it, it, it's not wholly dominated by, say, Dublin size. There's a good kind of spread of teams from, from Munster and, and you have Galway in there as well, as well as uh, and other Leinster teams like Wexford Youth. So there's a nice spread across the country to help the development of women's soccer over the next few years, it seems. Yeah, and there's just plans for other... Other clubs have come out and said they're, they're, they're going to put a women's team in maybe in a year or two and they're starting out with 17s and 19s. There's a lot more, there's a lot of clubs with 17s and 19s that are in, aren't in the Women's National League at the moment. So at the moment, I think there's nine teams in it. So you'd like to see the next year or two go and you might have two divisions. That's where you kind of want to get to. If you're two divisions, you, the clubs that come in at the start have somewhere to kind of you know, find their feet because it is daunting at times. And look, Wexford Jutes have, have a rich history in, in the league, but there's some clubs that come in and start and you look at the league itself, the, the bottom teams with not many wins, like sometimes it's tough for them to, to keep continuing on and keeping players. So you'd like to see more teams come into the league. That that in a sense will make it more competitive, be it two divisions or maybe a bigger league and you split it half halfway through. But uh it's just that's very important because we had teams they've gone it's about when teams come in now it's given the structure and the support around them so that they stay in the league. And like you said, just like it's it's not just all in Dublin, there's Galway You've Treaty down. You've you've Cork. You know, so it's, there's there's a little bit of a trek around the place. Like, but the more teams I can spread that low on our team as well. New Bohemians were new in this year. Like, so they're um, and like you find even from last season to this season, like sometimes you're going to games and, and you're not taking it for granted, but you know that they're just a new team in the team. But like this season, we've played against teams and we've been lucky to come out with a one nil win. And we're we're maybe in previous games we were won by a couple of goals. So the league is getting competitive. Players are getting better coaching is getting better the structure around the clubs is getting better so it's just about keeping that going that momentum going now and, and if we can get a couple more teams in brilliant yeah because say yeah. from Kilkenny United's perspective they went out with the league in 2019 after being set up in 2015 but then you have the the advent of Carlo Kilkenny FC as well which uh, may be something for, for the future and they keep alluding to the fact that hopefully Carolyn Kilkenny will have a team in the future in both the Women's National League and possibly in the first division of the, the Men's National League as well. So it, it'd be great to see from a local perspective, I suppose from a Wexford Youth perspective, having a great Carlow and Kilkenny contingent in the team as well is quite valuable. So uh, we wish you continued success. I suppose the the aim for next year now will be to go on and and either maintain the FAI Women's Cup or go on and do the 
win the league and take it from Shelburne. Yeah, I was definitely enough to win the league and, and Shelburne will confess that themselves. It's international or it's European football. So that's where we want to get back to and the girls have had that Champions League experience and so our goal next season would like like every season is to go out and win everything. So so we've got the cup which is great. Last year we didn't win anything so it's a plus so the girls are still very hungry and, and I know when we sit down with them and we're kind of putting plans in place and we're talking about what's the goals and they'll want to win everything they can be a cup and league and we'll be trying to get back into European football um, the following season which would be great and, and that's where you want to play and if you have them goals it, the, the, they know what work is needed to make them realistic so we barely don't set goals and we just just go out and do it but you need to set them goals and be realistic and the, the amount of effort that's going to be needed to go and win, win the league and the cup is very, very high. So players have set the bar high and it's about us as staff and as a club to, to reach that. And if everyone does that, I think we'll be in a really good place maybe having this conversation this time next next season. Stephen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us here at Scoreline. It, it was a really great insight just to kind of get it on Kylie and Ellen. We know, as we alluded to, the Kilkenny and Carlo contingent there, the likes of Lolly and stuff. So it, it's just fantastic work. It was brilliant to see. We were cheering you on. I know as a media outlet, you probably should remain neutral, but we were cheering you on, particularly against Shelburne. So we wish you continued success. The man joining me on the line right now from Ogra, I really hope that I'm pronouncing that right, is David Morrissey, who is the man behind the jerseys. David, first of all, thanks very much for taking the time, sir. Um, thanks for inviting me on, Shane. I appreciate it. Um, I, I, I love things like this. I'm an absolute like stickler for retro stuff, retro jerseys. Uh, you can just ask my parents, who I have boxes of stuff left up in their house as well, and I have boxes of stuff in my house. But to see the retro GEA jerseys that you've been making is truly a sight to behold. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the idea initially started in, uh, well, uh, I suppose the first seeds were planted around 2009 when I managed to pick up a kind of a retro style Tipperary track top. And I, I did ponder at the time, like, why it wasn't more available, why these kind of items weren't more available. And a bit of research I'd done a few years later uh, kind of validated my, my point. So from 2019, I started Orga. And uh, yeah, it's slowly but surely it's taken off from there. Because like now, when you see re-releases of jerseys, particularly say in the in the soccer community, they mightn't have the the old sponsor on it, or they might have say if you're looking for a Manchester United jersey, they mightn't have the Umbro signed on it, but they'd have Sharp on it. But these look like an app, exact replica of all the uh, previous jerseys. I'm there looking at a 1984 Carlo jersey at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I suppose where where possible, we try to bring in elements of the um, the the originals where possible. Uh, obviously, they were made by a different manufacturer at the time. Yeah. Uh, but but we try and do as much attention to detail as as, as possibly can, and then just give give us the buyer the a more authentic feel when when they purchase our, our jerseys. And how have you found it then from a business? It seems to be grown exponentially because you keep re- releasing these different jerseys I've seen a new Kilkenny one early 90s I see one for a Kilkenny for 2000s one from the 80s as well so as this look like it's kind of it's it's expanding quite quite quickly Yes, it has. I've been pleasantly surprised and especially during uh, last year during the lockdown um, 
I think it, it, it probably got more exposure ship because more people were kind of working from home or, or whatever the case may be. And um, I think pe- there was a general sentiment that people wanted to support Irish businesses. But I've, I've been I've been surprisingly pleased with, with how things have gone so far, and I I'd hope like we go from strength to strength from here. Yeah, people are probably, especially during COVID, looking back to better years, it's particularly from Kilkenny's perspective. You know, you're looking back on, on previous years when there was all Ireland success. and uh, it, It's just fantastic to see. Are you covering nearly every county now at this stage? Yeah, we've covered all counties and even we've done a New York jersey and um, also um, we've done the we've done an Ireland jersey recently in 1921, uh, the kind of our own. Virgin uh, to tribute the, the centenary of Irish the Irish national team. Oh, fantastic! Uh, do, have you noticed that there's any kind of county in particular that are are maybe being a bit more invested? I know yourself as a Tipperary man, you're probably that's your stronghold there. Uh, and but would there be a lot of other counties kind of jumping in on the? Certainly, uh, definitely Wexford '96 was the biggest uh, seller today. It was uh, immense. Like the response to it was was was. Was flabbergasted now. It was really, really flew out the door. Um, certainly, Mayo have a good, steady support as they caught the Barry's tea jersey recently. It's getting a lot of inquiries about that. But yes, certainly every county has a good core following and there's a good, steady flow. But but definitely, definitely Wexford '96 is apart from the rest. Yeah, I can see the Wexford one there now as well. All Ireland winning jersey. It's been a long time anyway for them, so I can imagine that they're looking to relive their glory days, particularly with Cork and Mayo, as you said. So, uh, do you, do you stick? Are you planning to stick now firmly with GEA? Would you be moving on to as a soccer collector? myself, would you be moving on to the likes of League of Ireland or anything like that, or is it just strictly going to stay GEA? I probably will stick. I think around the um, the county jerseys. Um, I'm open to anything really, Jane. You know, whatever whatever opportunity arises. But but I suppose um, out of all the sports today, I I, I follow the GA more than I follow um, both soccer and 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 rugby, for example. But definitely would be it definitely would be my kind of preference. And are you sticking then with just the jerseys, or can you get some nice shorts and socks with that, or maybe that's something in the pipeline for a while away? It's, it's probably in the pipeline, Shane. We have done two tracksuit tops. I've done a Tipperary one and a Mayo one, uh, which was received very, very well there, especially before the All-Ireland final. Um, yeah, definitely open to trying new things, of course. It's the shorts, I'm, I'm told, they've increased in popularity since Paul Miskell in, in uh, normal people. So... <laughs> <laughs> But so yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, of course, I'm open to whatever, whatever, um, the all potential. And in terms of actually buying them, is it all kind of done online now, or are you in any bricks and mortar shops at the moment, or do you see that on the horizon? It's it's online uh, for now, definitely, Shane. Yeah, it is um, on the website orgaretro dot com. Um, it, it, it's all businesses is is done all online for for now. Yeah. And any jerseys now in particular going forward that you have your eye on or anyone that you're kind of holding out, you might give us an exclusive on what's being released next? Oh, um, there's a couple of plans, a couple of uh, ones in the pipeline, all right. I think they'll they'll do fairly well. Um, I, I suppose it's still in the planning stage, so I don't want to say too much for so, now. But, so, but so no exclusives as of yet. You're going to leave that to Tip FM, I'd say. 
no, 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 I won't discriminate. I won't discriminate. Um, um, from a setup point of view, though, from a business point of view, um, kind of, you, you started releasing them in 2019. You're going to have to do a lot of market research in behind that. You're going to have to see the type of demand that's there. Obviously, the GEA community in Ireland is quite expansive. It's huge, and there's a massive appetite for it as well. So you had a good, I'd imagine, business plan. But getting it set up then, the actual manufacturing of everything, getting the, the set up online, did you receive any support, I'd say, from a council or a local enterprise office or anything like that, or is it all done off your own back? It's all done off my own back to date there. Um, I, most of the marketing as well have been kind of primarily through uh, social media. Uh, as time has gone on, of course, I've expanded. I've, I do a slot with our game on the Hurling Show of a Monday, of course, and uh, Scorga.ie and also the JMAC podcast. Uh, but, but, yeah, mostly it, it's very social media driven from, from the beginning, really. And would you imagine now you're going to get more stars, kind of? Like, are you going to have TJ Reid sporting a 1980s Kilkenny jersey or anything like that? Is that in the pipeline? That would be absolutely great. <laughs> <laughs> if TJ ever wants to throw on the Kilkenny jersey, he's more than welcome. I'd de- even send him one. He's definitely not travelling to Tipperary, I'd imagine, for that. I wouldn't say he's too welcome there. I walked through Club Mill not so long ago in a Kilkenny jersey. I was getting some fairly funny looks, I tell you that. Ah, <laughs> uh, You're welcome anytime, Shane, as is TJ. Uh, what was it like anyway in, in, in Tipperary, I suppose, uh, considering the year that you've had? Uh, like, do you ha- I know Limerick are quite dominant, but uh, do, do you have hope for the future? I would, yeah. I think we have a good, good nucleus of young players there, so we'll be competitive at least. And that's all really you can, you can, you can hope for at the end of the day. Um, like... We we have a few successful under underage winning teams, so so I I wouldn't be in panic mode just yet. And like a former Carlo manager going in there now, Colin Bonner confirmed as the new. Uh, well, I suppose it was a, a few months ago now, but he's in there on a three-year term. Would you know Colin at all, or would you be following him with Carlo or anything like that? I, I wouldn't know Colin personally, but I've I've been impressed what he's done with Carlo. Like with a small group of players, I thought he achieved great, great things. Um, he's by all accounts he's meant to be, you know, well respected and well liked in um, in in GA circles, both uh, inside and outside Tipperary. So look, I, I'd be hopeful. I, I think I think he'll he'll do a stellar job for us. Well, we'll be following along the journey as well. We know that there was babies. Eddie Brennan was mentioned at one stage as well going in there. We've seen Henry now going off to, to Galway. So there's uh, going to be a very interesting year lined up. And it's going to be very interesting, no doubt, for yourself. If people want to pick up the jerseys, I know you said you're online, but where can they follow you on social media? Where can they see the latest releases? Yeah. We're on uh, Twitter. Uh, we're on Facebook and also Instagram. Um, um it's it's Orga. I know a lot of people say Orga, but it's Orga. It's the Irish word for golden. Orga retro um, at Orga retro. So if you are in some cases at Orga retro wear. So if you if you key in um, any of those into the search, they will will pop up on those three channels. And Orga is O R G A, and then retro is spelled the way retro is. In terms of Christmas, yeah. um, if people want to order f- stuff for Christmas, are you looking at a bit of a delay? Considering you know you might have a backlog, it's going to be a busy period, or what is generally the shipping like? 
Um, is, is this, the outfall chipping is 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 uh, fairly okay at the moment. I don't uh, I don't hear of any uh, issues. Kind of getting goods in this year has been a bit of a challenge because there's been material shortages, etc. So there's been a, a few delays. But but other than, other than that, like things have gone relatively well. Well, it's great to hear a success story. The jerseys look absolutely beautiful. The one that caught my eye was the the old ninety one, I think, Kenny jersey with Mahan McPhillips on it. It's just absolutely brilliant to see um, these kind of things coming back into your consciousness and coming back into your mind and seeing the players that would have wore them over the years. It just floods memories back. As I said, I'm an avid jersey collector, so it's brilliant to see. I wish you nothing but the best of success, David, and hopefully we'll have a few of them rocking around here, KCLR Studios, over the next next few weeks as the word gets out there that Agra Retro is the ones doing retro GEA jerseys Oh many thanks Shane thanks for your kind words and and oh, I, listen I, I'm, I'm optimistic that Kenny jerseys are getting a lot of traction I, I think they will be a success well, we wish you nothing but the best. As I said, the Carlo 1984 one is there as well. And it's just great to see just a whole host of different counties represented. So best of luck with it. I know that you're going to have a very busy Christmas season as well as GEA Fanatics are looking to pick these up. David, until then, I'm sure we'll be chatting to each other very, very soon. You might even see my name coming up in one of those orders <laughs> soon. So <laughs> you can raise a nice old note. But uh, David, thanks very much for taking the time, sir. Manny, thanks to yourself, Shane. It's a pleasure to be on. David Morrissey there from Orga Retro, O-R-G-A-R-E-T-R-O, selling retro GAA jerseys. As I said, there's some fantastic one there. As he mentioned, the Centenary one for Tipperary. I was just looking at it on the website. Some great ones. And not even if you're a fan of your own particular county, there'll be some ones that'll definitely spur up some memories. And I guarantee it'll look good on you as well. Um, yeah, myself and Inna are, uh, I suppose, co-creators of the game, and uh, yeah, no, it's great to get a call, um, just, uh, it's going very well so far, and uh, we're about three weeks into it now, so it's, uh, yeah, it's just kind of exceeded all expectations so far, so it's going, yeah, I said, it's going really well, we got the game into, landed here in Castlebar, but I said three weeks ago, and honestly, since then, it's just been every evening, we're just sending out orders, um, and, you know, we're inundated with shops, so it's going, like I said, it's going really well so far, so very happy. Uh, here at KCLR, we have a, a football manager thing, which is a virtual game where we play playing that. But so many people are just kind of armchair pundits and things like that. Um, this game seems to be able to put you somewhat into the hot seat. It's a family-friendly game, up to two to four players. Is it that people are battling against each other, battling their wits, or are you in this together? Uh, you know, you're battling against each other. I suppose the whole game was it's been tweaked and amended and adjusted from the feedback from the kids. So myself and I are both teachers and I suppose we kind of used our target audience for sitting in front of us for the last couple of years and you know, every now and again we throw the game out and see what they, see what different things they liked and what different elements of the game they liked and uh, what they didn't like. So I uh, just got it from them. So like the first part was we realised very early on they loved the idea of uh, I suppose swapping players or we had a chance to buy the players. So very soon we had to introduce the idea of like a transfer chest. So we have our own Gaelic games, transfer chest, even though it might not be, I suppose, very realistic to real life, but uh, <laughs> the kids love it. And uh, so we have eight, we've kind of picked our eight Super 8 teams, and um, and then every, the 24 other counties are represented in the transfer chest. So the children then, if they have a Dublin or a Mayo or Galway, whoever, they'll have, they can have, you know, they can choose the strong players then from the transfer chest, which could be from Clare, Leash, Carlow, wherever, and 
they'll you know their players they can buy. So that was the first thing they loved, and um, yeah, then it was the the trading card element of it where they. They put out the line out their 15 players and they choose their who's going to be on the subs bench for the day. And um, yeah, so then you, you face off against your opposite manager. And um, yeah, that, and they, this is exactly what they told us they loved. And when we put it into practice and we tried it out, they were loving the, the element of you know being able to beat him by the shore and then move forward one step closer to, to winning the All Ireland. So that was, and all these little changes and all these little tweaks just we picked up from what the kids were telling us. Like, so, and so in that sense, we're kind of very fortunate in having the, our exact audience sitting in front of us every day. So, um, yeah. The, the, the thing that stood out to me is that we're very much living in this virtual world where the likes of Ultimate Team and FIFA and that kind of things are, are paramount, but it kind of still disconnects people at the same time because you're either sitting on your own with your headset on, you're shouting at somebody or whatever the way uh, people play games. But looking at this, looking at the packaging, first of all, it's absolutely breathtaking. It looks so professionally done. It looks brilliant and to get people around the table together to play that. You must get some sense of joy when you see that in action and being able to see people actually interacting with each other in person. Well, that's it, yeah. So I suppose our inspiration first originally came from um, the idea of wet breaks in school. And I suppose we're down here in the West, it probably rains a little bit more than it does with you guys. <laughs> it, it rains a lot. And um, a lot of the, the break times, the kids are inside. And normally what happens on a wet day, you're, you, know, you might be a bit of screen time, there might be... A, putting something up on the interactive whiteboard or it could be on the tablets or the iPads, you know, at lunchtime. So I suppose that's kind of where we're just looking at this every day. And, you know, you could, you could have a wet week nearly and, and children have basically spent their, like, the amount of screen time they would have, um, you know, have, have had in that week. So we sort of looking for something different, something that's going to take them off the screens and something getting kind of talking and interacting with each other. And so that's, that's exactly it, as you're saying in the question. Like, when we saw them trialling the game in school, you could see suddenly they were away from the screen, suddenly, they're, you know, they were, they were kind of, interacting and socialising and communicating with each other a lot more than they would have been otherwise. And uh, and that's that was kind of inspiration for it all along, the idea they got us. And yeah, as I said, when you see it now in action and you see even the schools are just, we've tried with different families locally, just to see kids around and kind of competing with each other and arguing with each other and things like that. It does, uh, oh yeah, no, it is. It, it's very uh, rewarding um, to see it in action now, yes. But uh, I, that, that is just, it was, it, I suppose, the idea. But we wanted all along seeing the children uh Spending so much time online, or you know, you know, you talk to parents the amount of time they spend online, and these would be children who'd be very, you know, to be Jay fanatics who love football, but just they're just spending so much time online, screen times, and we thought something like often an alternative, I suppose, or something, just something different. But uh, yeah, no, we really have been overwhelmed now with the how much they've interacted with it so far and the response they've got. So yeah, it's it's again. I have to keep on saying it like it's just been we were very lucky in the feedback from the kids and you know they have or like on no certain terms they've kind of said there's no what's good about the game during the trialling phase of what wasn't good so we we hopefully we've managed to get everything that working good and uh, we've kept all the things that they were enjoying so yeah uh, it's uh, it's kind of keeping everything that they like and putting it all together um, but yeah no it's going, it's going really well now I have to say it sounds like there's incredible market research gone into it and I imagine from concept to the actual finished product from my limited experience in business mainly due to watching Dragon's Den quite a bit but uh, going from that initial concept doing your market research and then getting the manufacturing done um, was there times where you thought oh this isn't actually going to work or you second guessed yourself and then you just had to persevere because you visualised the, the final product and you knew that you had a product that would work yeah, actually, exactly. Like myself and Anna would have no, I suppose, business background. We've been teaching for the last few years, but we 
and there are times, like plenty of times, where you thought this will never, you know, it'll never make it to the shelves, or you thought, well, where are we going with this? But uh, I said every time you try live with the children, you thought, God, there is something here, there is something. It's just seen the and seen the response. But um, yeah, it was like it was last, it was March 2020. It was actually the night just before everything shut down, lockdown. Myself and I met in the Angler's Rest in Headford, kind of halfway. He's he's in Spital and I'm in Castle Bar. So we met halfway between, and it was nice. I think Liverpool were playing Atletico Madrid, and the bar was full. And myself and I were here with the concept and print and cards in front of us, and we were getting a lot of strange looks, all right. And uh, <laughs> we. Um, yeah, from then, like I said, there's loads of times like that. Where are we going with this? But yeah, I keep on saying, like, once we, once we got, um, we met a designer, there's, you know, we sent her, it's actually, it was uh, a woman based in Mexico. It was an online, we, we advertised a job online, and a girl got back to us from Mexico, and she had no idea about Jay or Gaelic games whatsoever. So we sent her over loads of YouTube clips, loads of Jay imagery, and within a week or two weeks, she came back with just, like, the artwork that you see now as it is, and it was amazing. And, like, she just, she caught up, up to speed on Gaelic Games within, like, a week, and she brought the whole concept to life. And and that's what I'm saying. Once we had the concept brought to life with the design and the feedback from the kids, you kind of knew that there's something here that you have to kind of follow through on. And, um, yeah, so we just kind of plugging away. And, like I said, we've got, like, everyone has been, has helped us along the way, been very supportive, like, even, like, you know, getting trademarks and, even the stores and shops, everyone like is very supportive and willing you on. And uh, you know, lots of people give great advice. Even if someone can't help you, they certainly advise you or push you in the right way. So when you get that, you know, you get that encouragement and support along the way as well. It brings it, just makes it so much easier. And I say a lot of people locally have been brilliant. So yeah, there's loads of times when you start doubting yourself and think, God, like you know, this is t- totally new to myself, Arena, and something that you know is no real. And um, there's so much things along the way where we've no experience of, but you just, you know, you, t- you make the best of all the advice and sports you get, and as you, as you keep on saying, like, you, you, at the back of our minds, when you all along, we see the response of the kids to it, you kind of felt that there was something in it, and, um, yeah, but I have to say, just a special mention, though, to a, a designer who, I said, in two weeks, had gone from knowing nothing to, had been basically the first designer in, of a Gaelic Gaelic board game, um, <laughs> and she, yeah, just brought it all to life, and it's brilliant, so, that was there. I think they were the main two factors that kind of kept you going all along. We saw the fact, like we haven't, we haven't changed the design in any way at all, really, um, from what we saw. So it was an, it was an amazing first attempt by her. And uh, another thing was we O'Neills were very supportive too when we contacted them about it. And I suppose we just it, when it came back from the designer, it may have looked a little generic. We thought, it was, you know, it didn't stand out as a GA board. And um, yes, yeah, so O'Neills put their logo to it, and we've got O'Neills size five on the front of the ball and then O'Neill's have put their logo to different elements of the game and in the cards and things like that so it just kind of makes it a bit more identifiable as a, as a Gaelic Games game and uh, so like that's just another example of another company who came on board and supported us and uh, pushed it along so yeah it's just, as I said we've been lucky with the people we've worked with along the way and uh, yeah it's been some great support even now since it's come out the support you have here locally and just from stores around the country like you know you get in touch with uh, it could be a store in Offaly or Wicklow or wherever you've no, you know, you've no experience dealing with before, and they're just, they're, you know, they're very enthusiastic, and they're, you know, talking about getting local GA players into the store to push it on and things like that. So, like, it's, it's brilliant. It really has been now. And uh, even last week, we launched in Balna, and we had Paula Gohora and Catherine Sullivan, and just Mayo ladies player and and Mayo footballer, and. You know, they came in, give up so much of their, of their time and came on, you know, almost give up a full Saturday to us here and um, launching it. So it was super, as I'm saying, there's loads of examples like that where 
everyone just come on board and, and pushed it on. So, uh, yeah, we're very lucky in that sense. And we see, like, the likes of the Irish Times uh, got behind it. They've included it in their list. Uh, I've seen that was in the Late Late Toy Show gift selection as part of William's Toys, and uh, Smiths <laughs> yeah. are stocking it and stuff. So, like, there's some really big names as well as the GEA names that are getting behind it that are backing it so it's fantastic to see in terms of bricks and mortar shop I mentioned Smith is it available in most toy stores or is it more of an online thing yeah, exactly. You know, it's, we're online ourselves, but mostly we're, we're very eager to get, uh, you know, spread the spread it around the country as much as we could. And at the moment, we are represented in, I think, twenty six counties anyway so far. And I suppose for the northern for northern country and uh, northern counties, we're um, just online at the moment. We're hoping to make a breakthrough in the next few weeks. But yeah, no, we're in every county in, in Toy Masters, Smiths, um, Easons. A lot of independent stores. I mean, then and like that's it. Too. Like the smaller independent stores, I think super as well. Like everyone's willing. Everyone's like for every small independent store, you know, they are taking a slight chance on us in that. Where it's a completely new product, and it's, and um, you know, I, I suppose anything new is, is doesn't have the the record as you know a toy that's been in the market for years and years. But uh, like that, every every store we've contacted has come on board and supported us. So I actually looking at our looking at the list there during the week, we actually are now in every county in the country. So. Uh, yeah, in the space of two or three weeks, it's it's gone from you know landing in our store here in Casablanca, suddenly being in each county. So yeah, it's it's right, it's it's in all the main toy stores now, and um, yeah, it's going to like Smiths uh, have come on board. Like that, that was a huge thing. Well, Smiths coming on board so early and just gives you great. It, it helps just spread the game so quickly. And you know, it had gone from being suddenly a, a very localized game here in the west to suddenly. You know, you go on and see Smiths or Toy Masters or whatever, whatever website, and you see it represented in each county. And again, it's just uh, just kind of uh, kind of exceeds our own expectations how quick it, it kind of spread nationwide. And and as I said, like last night, although we're we're a little bit obscured by a, a dinosaur was kind of covering the box. <laughs> it was on the set last night, and I guess we could see the game, but it was a bit of a dinosaur behind Ryan Tuberty there last night, kind of obscuring. I the thought you were calling Ryan Tuberty a dinosaur there for a second. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> No, no, we just, uh, when William was presenting it, we could just see the corner of the game, but no, it just never came into full view, but look, it was nice to get, it was great to get a mention, as I said, like, from three weeks ago, to suddenly be listed on the Late Late Toy Show gift set, you know, I mean, that's, it's, it's beyond what we expected in the first few weeks, certainly, so, uh, yeah, look, it's been brilliant so far. Well, that's fantastic. I know me and my family, we love playing a board game at Christmas. And no doubt this is going to be the board game on the f- table for many people after their Christmas dinner. But James, we wish you nothing but continued success. The game name is Banished Door. It's a, a board game. It looks absolutely beautiful. You can get it online and uh, banishedoorboardgame.ie or in some bricks and mortar places like the Smiths and Toy Master. James, we wish you nothing but the best success and hopefully next year when the Late Late Toy Show comes around you'll have your own feature on it as well. Thanks very much, Shane. Really appreciate it. Thank James, you thanks very much. No doubt we're going to get that for around the offices. Me, Robbie, Ken and Steve and the sports team here and Sinead pit our wits against each other. But that was James Fallon there from the Banished Door board game. It looks absolutely stunning. It very very professionally designed and it's a very nice concept as well so if you need a stocking filler or something for under the tree or you're a GEA fan why not write to Santa and ask him for the banished door board game because if you're a GEA fan what an absolutely majestic night we have in store in Greyhound Racing World with tonight's matchbook betting exchange Irish St. Ledger 
going to post tonight in Limerick Greyhound Stadium. And we have fantastic local interest in the form of Priceless Jet, owned by Brian and Kathleen Murphy of the Cayman Islands and trained locally in Kilkenny by the wonderful Paul Hennessy, who's not only a top-class greyhound trainer, but a top-class horse trainer as well, having success in the Cheltenham Festival this year with his charge, Heaven Help Us. He goes down to Limerick tonight, and of course, Kilkenny have had some fantastic successes against Limerick over the years, and he has a big chance to continue that vein of form tonight with Priceless Jet running from Trap 6 in tonight's Matchbook Betting Exchange, Irish St. Ledger. It's all live on Sky Channel 437 RGP TV. So if you want to cheer on our local charges, Priceless Jet, that race is on at 24 minutes past nine on Sky Channel 437. Priceless Jet has been a wonderful servant for the Hennessy family. He actually won the Corn Cullen earlier on in the year over the 750 distance. And of course, Paul Hennessy has had some great success in the Irish St. Ledger with 2002, Larking About. 2011, he won it with Water Tornado. 2013, for the Chalk family, he won it with Lockton and Bridie. And in 2016, most recently, Priceless Brandy, who, for the same connections, have Priceless Jet in tonight's finals. So that's 24 minutes past nine. A lot to look forward to there. Down in Limerick, and of course, the Hennessy family, very, very shrewd operators. A great family story there, and it would be great to see Priceless Jet win the big one, the matchbook betting exchange. Irish St. Ledger down in Limerick. Elsewhere, in Shelburne Park, we have tonight's IJOBF National Puppy Final, and it promises to be an absolutely cracking final with some plenty of local interest to look forward to there as well. In the form of Trap 4, Kilgraney, Sydney, for the Buggy family, owner Mary Buggy and trainer Thomas Buggy of County Carlow ran very well in third last week, not beaten too far of this very, very well-bred son of Droopy Sydney. Kilgraney, Sydney runs from the black jacket of Trap 4 in tonight's IJOBF National Puppy Final. And in Trap 5, for a tra- local trainer from Kilkenny, whose name has been mentioned many times in the show, Murtalahi, for John Gagan of County Limerick, Slippy Hazel. She has been in tremendous form over the last number of weeks, winning three on the bounce. She bids for a fourth success on the trot in tonight's National Puppy Final from the Orange Jacket of Trap 5. As I said, she's a fantastic bitch. 15 races and four wins. She's very, very consistent and looks to be a massive, massive player for the Lahey family in tonight's National Puppy IGOBF Final. So plenty of local interest, both in Limerick and Woven Headquarters in Shelburne Park. <coughs> Elsewhere, last night in Kilkenny, we had the continuation of the Gerald Goldman's construction A3525 semi-finals. And the first semi-final was won by Holly Hill Raven. Second is Blackstone May and third Lemon Tilda. Those three progress through to the Gerald Goldman's construction A3525 final next Friday night. And in fact, the winner of this one was owned by the sponsor, George Gubbins, so I'm sure that was a well-treasured success for the Gubbins family at a price of 6 to 1 a dark horse, but banged away out of traps, showing great early pace and went on to win. So those three progressed through to next week's final. In the second semi-final of the George Gubbins construction, A3525 final, Apex Huntress won in a very quick time of 29.31, with Carlo Jet back in second and back in third, Lemon Elsa. Those three progress on to next week's final of the Gerald Gobbins Construction A3 final. So there's lots happening, Limerick, Shelburne Park and Kilkenny. We also had a fantastic presentation of a cheque for €1,000 to local charity Kilkenny, helping the homeless with contributions from race card sales, track bookies and the Kilkenny Goba contributions. So fantastic to see €1,000 donated and presented at Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium to the local charity Kilkenny, helping the homeless. So fantastic to see action all over the country 
in the Greyhound Racing World and plenty. Yeah, some details from Marble City Boxing. Just having a great weekend last weekend over in the UK. Four guys in particular coming away with four medals. Great representation of the sport over on an international level and coming from Kilkenny even better. Joining me now on the line from Marble City Boxing is Gary Kyo. Gary, thanks very much for taking the time, sir. Shane, how are things? Not too bad, sir. Yourself, I suppose, you're absolutely on cloud nine just seeing some of the young upstarts in Marble City Boxing, kind of all their hard work coming to fruition after such a long period of uh, kind of uncertainty surrounding the sport. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we're 18 months out of competitive boxing, Shane. Um, and I suppose, look, we jumped right into the deep end. Um, we travelled across to uh, Ilford Combat in the United Kingdom there last weekend with four boxers. And uh, we knew the competition would be tough. It was drawing the, the best boxers from all around um, Great Britain and further afield in Europe. And we managed to come home with four medals. Um, we came back with two golds and two silvers after the final day. So we were happy enough with the boxers. Look, the, the performances were really, really good. And it was just, you know, it was, it was nice to see after so long out of the ring to have the boys there on the final day. With, you know, there was over 220 boxers entered in this competition. So it was, it was, it was great. And I suppose that was one of the things that we've kind of discussed when we had you on the show before is that we were worried about the development of these younger people kind of coming through with the lack of sparring options being available and having to come up with different training techniques. Marble City Boxing have done that. You've had Zoom sessions with some fantastic boxers. You've helped train, keep the guys engaged in the sport and it certainly seems like it paid off. Yeah, look, I suppose that was always our, our biggest fear um, during all the lockdowns that we would lose boxers um, because we were afraid, look, every other sport managed to get back going. The outdoor sports were fortunate enough. They were allowed to resume. We were kind of left, left on the long finger for a long time, so we had to come up with innovative ways to keep our boxers interested, um, you know, to keep them training um, and developing. And we're, we're, we're delighted to see now we, we've been back open a few months and all those boxers, they're all still there, Shane. You know, they're, they're all training away. And we just said that once once we got the green light to travel and we could go to competitions, uh, we, we'd be on the road again. And we have, we, we've taken lads now, we went across to an international sparring camp in Glasgow uh, just over a month ago. We brought across 10 boxers there. We were sparring against some of the, t- some of the toughest operators in Europe. And uh, last week, as we said, we were over at the Barham International Box Club with another four boxers. So we kept busy, we're on the road, and um, the lads are loving it. They're loving just being back in competition. And success is... Success is on its way. And, and uh, it's brilliant to hear, and you can hear the passion in your voice. Uh, the, the four lads in question, Tommy Fitzpatrick, Niall O'Donnell, Josh Dowling, and Jack Johnson, they must be absolutely delighted with themselves from a personal kind of perspective. And then going over there, not only representing the club, not their, only representing their county, but also representing the country as well. It, they must feel some fantastic pride at such a young age to come away with medals. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I suppose three of those four boxers, it was their first time to ever um, compete outside of Ireland in an international tournament. We've had Jack Johnson there before. Um, I suppose look, it paid dividends for Jack. He had that experience um, of boxing overseas before. Um, so, you know, it didn't phase when he got to that final day. Um, and for, for Tommy, Niall and Josh, you know, it's, it's, it's gained, they've gained invaluable experience, you know, travelling across there. It's just a completely different environment. Um, I suppose England, Scotland and Wales... They've been boxing for the past 10 months. They've been back in competition. They've actually competed in two national competitions. So we were coming in massively disadvantaged, having no competitive experience going across there. Um, and the boys did phenomenal. Tommy Fitzpatrick managed to step in against uh, an unbeaten GB opponent. 
Um, and coming into the final round, it was all level between both lads. And it was, look, it was one of those contests, Shane, that the, the officials at the top table came to me after, and they were saying, like, you know, an absolute fantastic contest. They hadn't seen as high a skill level between two lads in the ring in a long time. So, we, we, you know, we, we were delighted with our lads' performances overall. Um, and we're just looking to get, get on to the next competition now, push on again. Yeah, and, and pushing on, like, in, in these competitions, there's, like, ultimate goals that some people have. And, you know, Darren O'Neill, I know he's out in Paulstown and it's separate from yourselves, doing so well in the National League, coming back at the age of 36, registering 24 hours before. And, obviously, Captain Ireland, were one of the finest boxing sides that we sent over in 2012 to London. But, like, someone like that as an ambassador for the sport, and in particularly in Kilkenny as well, must be a real driving factor and motiv- motivation for young guys to see what they can accomplish if they keep at it yeah look it, 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 it's one of those things it, it, it's it's a role model you know and someone that's been there and done it um, and we our young lads are looking to be the next you know the next uh, high achieving sports person um, coming from Kilkenny we have we have a couple of senior boxers in our own club now that are doing very well and the younger lads are thriving off their success you know they're 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 loving going and watching the box they're loving them seeing bringing back success to the club and they want to be the next you know, they want to be the next gold medal winner, the next international competitor for Ireland. So, you know, I suppose success breeds success. The club is going very well at the moment. Um, we're looking to, like we, we were down in Arklow there at the Leinster Championships um, two weeks ago and we entered seven boxers and came away with six gold. So, you know, the lads are flying at the moment um, and we just want to just keep going. Hopefully now no lockdowns or no restrictions come and we can just keep going the way we're going. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, in terms of keep going the way you're going, you've actually added to the safety of your competitors as well there recently. We know that you've done a lot of fundraising efforts and various fundraising efforts because of uh, the need and the want to provide this kind of, some type of safety net in the form of a defibrillator. It's pretty much on the sporting conscious for the past while, particularly in soccer with the likes of Christian Eriksen being quite a recent case and we've seen a few since then. But having that in the, the the gym and in the club must be a tremendous kind of personal accomplishment to know that you're providing that somewhat of a safety net there in case something does go wrong you might be quite equipped to be able to deal with it yeah look I suppose it's one of those things um, it, it really hit home there during the, the Euro Championships when Christian Eriksen um, dropped down and went into cardiac arrest we had only sent our coaches on a first aid course probably three weeks before that um, and we kind of understood how important it was to have a defibrillator present in the club um, we sent our boxers coaches and parents they all embarked on a journey climbing Crow Patrick a few months ago um, in order to raise funds to acquire a defibrillator for the club um, the support around Kilkenny was absolutely phenomenal James. you know we smashed our target um, and we were able to purchase a defibrillator and just last week we actually received the defibrillator we have it up in the club now and it's just, as you said, it's a safety net there, and it, it's just, it's, it's a breath of fresh air having the club. We'd hope that we'll never, ever have to use it or encounter a situation where we were required to use it. But just knowing you have that equipment there, it, it, it's just a relief on, all, on, on everyone involved in the club. Um, and we're fortunate enough to have it there, and we, we can't thank the public enough for their support. And they were very, very generous, and anything we, anything we needed, they're, they're on hand to help us. Um, so look, we're we're constantly trying to make small improvements to the club, um, and just take it to that next level. And look, every every small bit of support from the community helps. 
And in terms of the defibrillator as well, would I be right in assuming that it's it, it's not commonplace in every club? So it's almost like you're taking an initiative here because of maybe some things that came to light and came into the public consciousness. You wouldn't find it very commonplace in a lot of clubs, is that correct? No, yeah, absolutely. Um, you find it, I suppose, in those kind of community clubs where there's a few different clubs operating um, and community facilities and that, but... An overall just standalone boxing club. No, I, I, as as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm aware, we were told that we're the only club um, in Ireland at the moment that have their own one. Now, I'm not 100% sure on that, but that's what I've been told from high up figures. So I'd like to see a lot of clubs acquired because you, you just, you'd just you love to have that safety net there behind all clubs. Um, but look, as I said, we can't thank the public enough. Um, we're fortunate enough. We have one in our club, so we're happy now. We have that safety net. Yeah, it's fantastic to see. I know that you had a registration night not so long ago. Was that maybe on the consciousness of maybe parents that you might have met and who had eager lads that were looking to get into boxing don't think about these kind of things? They just kind of almost get tunnel vision. They want to train and they want to go out and perform and have a bit of fun and a bit of crack. But did you notice it a bit more with parents that they were a bit testy, especially considering the times that we might be in about allowing their, their son or their daughter kind of take up boxing training? Yeah, there, ha- there was a few inquiries, all right, about it. Um, because, look, they know that boxing, it's a contact sport. Um, and, look, I suppose some parents have their have their uh, opinions about the sport and they kind of consider it maybe to be a dangerous sport and wanted to know what kind of safety precautions and procedures are in the club. So once they were made aware that we were um, on the hunt for a defibrillator, it kind of just put them put their, their minds at ease. Um, and once they see the, the defibrillator up in the club now, you know, everyone is absolutely thrilled. They're thrilled to bits that there is one in the club. Um, as we said, if an event ever does happen, which we, we please God it doesn't, but we have that there now in the club. And we have all our coaches as well are upskilled in sports first aid. So they're all trained in how to use it. So um, if ever an issue did arise, everyone there in the club is trained to operate the, the apparatus. Generally, when we have you on, we kind of uh, always ask you to get your opinion on the boxing world in general and in international boxing. I suppose the biggest fight of the past while that I was watching was Joshua and Usk. Um, it was a quite a, a stunning victory there for Usk in in that battle, kind of tr- scuppering plans for Fury and Joshua with a lot of people would like to see. Where does that leave the heavyweight ranks now? It's absolutely, it, it smashed the doors wide open, Shane, when you look at it. Um, you know, Alexander Usyk, he, we, we've always seen it. As, from an amateur perspective, he was a phenomenal talent. You know, he, he, he claimed a world and Olympic gold medal. And, you know, he went on to dominate the cruiserweight divisions in, in professional boxing. And obviously then people said he'd be too small when he stepped up to heavyweight. But it just showed, you know, the boxer beats, you know, boxing ability can beat strength any day of the week. So he he's phenomenal talent. And I suppose... It's just made it that bit more interesting now because obviously there will be a rematch will come between Joshua and Usyk and the winner of that will go on to face Fury. So it leaves it leaves every you know it leaves doors wide open for the heavyweight division and it kind of brings a bit of excitement that there's not just maybe two or three boxers there there's any amount of them in the heavyweight division now. So it's kind of made it very interesting again. It certainly has. Is Fury considered then the best boxer of the heavyweight division? We know that tremendous fight with Wilder. It almost it seemed to the, the rivalry in itself to seem to reinvigorate the casual audience and the casual fans that are looking at it because there were two dynamic people coming together for a crunch clash because the Joshua fight got called off because of it. it, it is Tyson Fury that kind of 
I, I wouldn't put him up on uh, on the same level as the likes of a Tyson or uh, the likes of an Ali, but in terms of box office attraction, is Tyson Fury the, the man leading the way for the heavyweight division? I, I think he is, Shane, to be honest. I think Tyson Fury, he has that appeal. He has that draw with the public. Um, you know, he, he he's an entertainer, and everywhere he goes, he brings entertainment. And obviously then, look, Deontay Wilder was the man. He was feared in the division for a long, long time with his extraordinary knockout power. And Tyson Fury... He, he just completely dominated him on a boxing perspective um, and it kind of brought back a rivalry similar to the Ali Fraser kind of rivalries back then mm. it, it got the it got the audience and it got the public enthralled in boxing again and I suppose now you've got Joshua there um, you've got Joshua Fury Alexander Usyk Deontay Wilder Dillian White there's a huge amount of names there in the heavyweight division and for any of them now it, it's for any of them to go against each other it would be a close affair um, it's it, it's very interesting again. And from one fury to another, something that seems to be capturing the imagination of a generation that's a lot younger than me. I can't understand why. I suppose it, for me, I want to see one of the Paul brothers getting punched out and knocked out. Tommy Fury going up against Jake Paul. By all estimations, maybe it's just a selling point. But Eddie Hearn seems to be somewhat saying that Jake Paul shouldn't be taken for granted or, and, and stuff like that. But Tommy Fury, you know, if he if he has. And he wants to be a proper prospect. He needs to be knocking out Jake Paul quite lively and quite soon. He he does look. Uh, I suppose Jake Paul. You know he he's a YouTuber. Um, he has done well for boxing. I think he has. There's an awful lot of people giving out about him. I think he's after bringing a lot of eyes and a lot, you know an, an awful lot of eyes from different viewers to boxing. Um, but I think Tommy Fury. Look, it, it's it's part of their family. That boxing is part part and parcel of that family. So. I'd imagine Tommy Fury would be just too good for um, Jake Paul. But again, look, it's after it's after getting people talking about boxing, about this fight. Um, it'd get more eyes on the sport. And it can only be good for boxing. Yeah, it, it, it seems like that kind of echoes the sentiments that uh, uh, Mike Tyson shared as well. It's just bringing eyes on it and hopefully... I know from the spectacle point of view, a lot of people want to watch, but hopefully from the young people watching these YouTube videos and maybe not conducting themselves in the same manner, but it might give them the impetus to get into a gym and start training. Yeah, absolutely. Look, the more young people watching YouTube and watching the likes of Jake Paul, um, you know, they want to give boxing a try. That can only be good for the sports clubs like ourselves. Um, we'd hope that more young people would come through the doors. Um, the doors are always open now in the Marble City from Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, 7 to 9. And any young kid out there that wants to get involved in boxing, it's the club to be. Um, you know, we're 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 open to absolutely anyone coming through the doors, and you know that's that's the place to be at the moment. So instead of watching the YouTube videos, Shane, get get down to the club, and uh, you you can be the next boxer. I'll stick to fight night on the Xbox 360. Fight night round three. That's where I was good at. Just throwing out jabs. <laughs> And I'll keep my undefeated record. I had one white-collar boxing match, I won it, and now I'm undefeated, so 1-0. <laughs> we'll, we'll get you back for one more. We'll you yeah, one but more. then it'll be 1-1 one one then. Yeah, I'm too old, I can't move. <laughs> Gary, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's great hearing all the things that are happening in Marvel City Boxing, the defibrillator, the success that you're having. What's coming up next, anyway? Uh, coming up next now, Shane, is the All-Ireland Championships. Um, hopefully we have six lads heading to the All-Ireland Championships. Um, we have... Obviously, we have international league nights coming up every weekend, every Saturday morning. We're down in the club. We have clubs travelling from all over Ireland. We have a lot of clubs travelling from international now. Waters and the club has picked up uh, a lot of a lot of attention over overseas. So we have a lot of clubs travelling from the UK and come in the new year. So we're kept busy. We have we have plenty. We have a, a very busy schedule coming up over the next couple of months. 
Absolutely brilliant to hear. Gary, I'm sure we'll be talking very, very soon. No doubt any fights that are coming up on an international level or whatever's happening in the Marble City Boxing, always a great voice to give us here, along with Ollie O'Neill as well, uh, just keeping us up to date on the boxing world. Uh, thanks very much for taking the time, sir. Thanks very much, Ian. Appreciate that. As always, the legend, the man that knows everything that he's talking about in regards to boxing. If you want to go train, Marble City Boxing is open for you. Some great success coming out of there and the defibrillator as well, just to provide that safety net. We're going to take a quick ad break. Ball manager, Ed Burke. Ed, thanks very much for taking the time, sir. No problem, no problem at all. Delighted to be on. I suppose you're also delighted and quite proud to become the Carlo Ladies Manager. 100%, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's an honour um, talking to all the, the players and the county board and everything. I'm absolutely delighted to be involved now. So everything seems to be uh, hopefully in the, going in the right direction in the past under Mark, and hopefully now I can bring that on a little bit more. And, cer- and certainly, with, like taking on the job, you've obviously had a look at the pool of players. And is is there kind of a belief within the squad that they can go on and have a special season in 2022? Hundred percent. I've seen a couple of games so far now, and talked to most of the players from last year's panel. And there's definitely a belief that this crowd can get to Crow Park at a minimum and possibly win that junior title in the coming year. Never mind what, how far we can go in future years past that. Yeah, I was going to say like the the loss in the semi final to Antrim last year. Like, would the goal now be to do even two step betters, not just get to the final, but get to win that All Ireland? Definitely, like from from the standard I've seen, and and from the I would say the age profile of a lot of the players, it seems like there, there's a lot of potential that we can work on inside in Carlo. And like, you know, looking at it, I said losing tantrum on a very very small margin. There's no reason why we can't get to Crow Park and, and win that Junior Ireland in the coming year. In the, the the process of becoming the the manager, and I'd imagine that you would have had to sit down with various people and discuss maybe what you see and what the 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 side can accomplish and how they can improve on last season and not come up shorts in hopes of winning that All Ireland. What was it that you kind of got across to whoever was making the decision to ratify you that uh, made them kind of go with yourself? Was there a certain philosophy that you're looking to bring? Is there an attacking impetus, a defensive impetus? What what's the direction that you're hoping to? Take? take the side yeah no and you're, you're, you're spot on like it was one of the questions that come up and neither attacking or defensive the way I look at it is we want to improve the decision making you know that's the difference between all the levels really is the decision making that the players make when they're under pressure and if we can if we can improve that you know there's no reason why we can't get over that extra step you know at the, at the junior level and the senior level and the intermediate level it's all about time on the ball so if we can speed up the thought process and decision making process and improve it you know that's going to be the major difference going forward and I'm not necessarily asking for any secrets of the trade or anything like that but how do you implement then that and obviously you're going to have to get a lot of people to, to, buy, to, to buy into it and no doubt no fear in you at all uh, but how does that become implemented is it different kind of training techniques is it techniques that maybe haven't been seen before or is it kind of back to the basics and back to the fundamentals of what football is yeah, no, it's a bit of both. So I suppose inside and train, it's all making them have to make decisions, put them into scenarios, different small-sided games, large-sided games, where they have to make the decision, you know, put them under pressure. And as well as you said there, you know, we have to work on the basic skills. Like the basic skills are the core of the game, you know, getting them right is key. And then if you put them into the situation of where they're under pressure to make the, to, to make the skills, to make the decisions, after a while, you know, two, three, four months, it'll start coming naturally to them. And, and that's the thing, you'd want, to, you'd want them to force a thought 
that inside in the drill. You want them to get used to it and automatically just making that right decision every single time. So you said just putting them under pressure the whole time inside in training is going to be the main uh, emphasis that we're going to work on. And you yourself, being from Wild Rovers in Tipperary, you have previous inter-county experience working with uh, the Waterford men's side and the Tipper- Tipperary ladies team as well. And it, it's something now that you're you're taking on. You've put together the management team and the, and uh, the backroom staff as well. It looks like quite a, a professional setup that's in place now to help you achieve these goals. No, hundred percent. So the county board have been great in that sense. Like uh, I said, my my previous background would be mainly in Munster. So you know, coming into Leinster, it's it's, it's a bit different for me. But talking to the county board, we've got in some great people. We've uh, Sinead Commons there, who's who's a Mayo lady. Um, so she's a former Mayo footballer who's coming in as coach. So we have John Cochran, who was there last year, is coming in as goalkeeping coach again. And Joe Rooney is in as a selector. And we've uh, Garrett Saunders, who's coming up from Tip with me as another selector. We've got Owen Joy from. Limerick, who's coming in as the head S&C coach, who's vast experience coaching St. Brendan's in Kerry and the Gale to a Ireland junior title uh, last year. So we've got some excellent people, and as well as long as that, we've our nutritionist, Kier Murphy, is back on board, and Casey Tobin with the statistics, and the Railta Clinic are coming on board to, to do all the physio work and injury preventions with all the girls. So, you know, we're, we're trying to make sure that, as you said there, it's professional. We've covered all our angles so that the girls can have the best possible chance to actually put their foot forward to win this Ireland. And you mentioned there that mainly your experience would be in Munster and you've mm. experienced it on both the, the, the men's side of the game and the female side of the game. Is there much of a difference in terms of the training that you might implement between the two? Or as I hate to repeat myself, but is it is the fundamentals of football are always going to be there? Is it a much different game between the two? Um. It, it it is in terms of physicality, but in terms of the the football, it's it's completely the same. You know, as you said, as I said at the start, we really want them to make the right decisions, and whether it's in Watford, whether it's in Tip, whether it's in Cork, that's the same fundamental. Obviously, things will change. You know, as you said, different players, different styles of play, whether it be men, whether it be women, that's the difference that it kind of makes. Is the player that you have in front of you, not necessarily the games themselves. Uh, and the management team then that you alluded to there, like, they're probably the first people that have to buy into a philosophy and they're basically going to be an extension of yourself and that will hopefully then reverberate throughout the whole team. So you're, you seem to be quite confident with the management team and the structure that's been put in place uh, to be able to kind of elude the same values that you have coming into the, this management role. Yeah, no, 100%. All the people who are on board, I said, haven't talked to them and chatted them and met with them we're all on the same wavelength of what we want to do. You know, as you said there, it's an extension of myself. So it's a group It's a group effort. We've all got to work through the same goal with the same uh, one idea that we want to portray to the girls at all times. And all, all the management team, from Sinead all the way down, we're all on the same wavelength, on the same page. And I think it's in some senses that I think from the very start, even before talking, we all have the same ideas on how we want to train teams and the kind of philosophy that we want to employ. Um, the philosophy will be felt throughout the team, but someone that you have at your disposal, someone that had an absolute banner year, is uh, Clean and Nishi. We've seen in the county final, say, for uh, Ben Kerry Tinroyland, that she's at the top of her game currently. How important of a player is she going to be? Uh, well, look, she's massive. You know, as you said, top scorer in the junior championship. Um, a hard-working player as well as well as a, a scorer, as we as we saw 
inside in the county final this year. You know, she's she's an absolute super talent, and it's players like her who are going to bring on the players around her. You know, and she's going to bring them on massively, and because of that, all the other players will start to shine because look, there's let's have no illusions here. A lot of the oppositions are going to focus in and trying to to shut her down. So it's going to really bring out the best of all the other players around her as well. Yeah, she was a junior players player of the year, as you mentioned as well, top scorer. It's it just a phenomenal season for herself. In, in terms of uh, the the panel, uh, are you having people travelling down from different places? We know Clean, I believe, was up in Dublin and she was doing her studies up there. Are you having everybody kind of travelling from different places? Uh, is that kind of... I suppose you'd be used to it in the GEA to a certain extent that people coming representing their county are probably coming from different walks of life and different, uh, whether they be in college or different jobs or anything like that. Um, is, is that a concern at all of people travelling or anything like that? Yeah, well, like from past experiences, the way we look at it, I'm going to look at it as time efficiency. You know, I said I was talking to a couple of players today already who were in college up in Galway and a three-hour drive down to training for an hour and a half to drive that up three hours again is, you know, seven and a half, eight hours of your day gone. It doesn't make sense, you know. So most of the players who are, who are out of reach from training midweek, you know, we will be getting them to do individual trainings or cl- small group trainings in their in their own um, situations, whether it's Dublin, whether it's Cork, whether it's Galway, whether it's up in Sligo or at Lone. So we have players all over the place. So that will be the main aim is... Um, the, the girls doing their own individual work midweek or in pods if there's a group of them around the place and then get back into the into the collective sessions on, on our Fridays and Sundays, you know, for especially January, February and March, you know, and when we get to April and May, we'll reassess, see if things are working and get players um, down if we need to, but, you know, at the other side of it, we're here to facilitate the team if, if we have to take trust in the players and they can get just as good work done at times on their own without having to waste six or seven hours of their day and put their time to a better use for themselves and it'll help them, you know, it'll help them physically, it'll help them mentally and it'll help them in all sense of life. And uh, speaking of putting in the work, you're no doubt putting in the work going to various different games, junior finals, everything like that. In terms of people kind of standing out and maybe they haven't represented their, their county I'm not asking you to name names, but has there been people that you've kind of been like, okay, they 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 could be wearing the Barrow Siders jersey now going forward, or they have a chance to be able to establish themselves in that team going forward? Have you been impressed with the quality within the county at the club scene? Yeah, as you said there now, as I said, I got appointed just before the senior final, so I've seen the senior final, I've seen the intermediate final on on um, on video, and I've been to the two junior semi-finals and the junior final today. And there definitely is. I, I, I see it already in terms of talking to girls, four, five, six girls already who we've identified and talked to and who are interested in coming in, who I think will really, um, will really add to the, to the panel, add to the team, you know, and, and bring an extra dimension, you know. As I said, when we're looking at players, I'm not necessarily looking for all-round players, you know, we're looking for attributes, attributes that can enhance the team, improve the team, and I've definitely seen and have talked to five or six girls who I think you know, I got to wear the jersey this year and and really bring bring themselves forward and bring the team forward and push current players around the team. You know, to make everybody have you know that extra little bit of work and to hopefully, as we said, all to work together as a team to to get to the Crow Park as step one. And uh, like just to mention there as well, Clonmore were crowned the Carlow Junior Champions today. Commiserations to Saint Andrew. Apparently, it was a very hard fought game. Unfortunately. 
being stuck in the radio you don't get to see many games but no doubt it was a it was a great day at netwatch cullen park but ed thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us we're looking forward to a prosperous year with you in charge of the carlo team and no doubt we'll be talking to you very very soon once again Super, thanks very much. Thank you very much, Ed Burke, who was appointed at the start of November as the Carlow Ladies Football Manager. We mentioned the semi-final loss to Antrim and all kind of roads hoping to be going now to Crow Park and making that extra step. And you never know, making that...